This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I chatted with Jessica, who has just come out of the fourth trimester, having given birth about three months ago to baby Jovi for his intended parents. Jessica and I talked all about what the fourth trimester has been like for her, but we also talked about pregnancy challenges and the processes of becoming a surrogate and everything else in between. I'm going to hand over now to Jess. Hi, my name is Jess. I am a surrogate. Jess, you gave birth not that long ago. Tell me, how did you actually come to surrogacy? Um, So I've known my intended parents for over 20 years. I went to high school with um, intended dad and um, got to know intended mum from from that point on. Mum and dad, I guess now they are. Um, So I knew of their challenges that they were facing and I had my youngest in 2016 and I didn't think I was completely done with pregnancy. Um, I don't know what gave me that feeling, but Jared and I decided there were no more for us. So um, after a little while, they I sort of knew of their challenges and um, they were considering uh, Canadian surrogacy. Um, and I sort of, when they started telling me, I was like, oh, I didn't say it at the time. I sort of, oh, I could do that. And then, yeah, no, I thought, no, don't do that. <laughs> and then went on to research um, on my own without talking to Jared about it. <laughs> um, and then plucked up the courage to say to Jared, I think this is something I want to do. Um, and we chatted about a few of his concerns and um, worked through it. And then we offered in May of 2018. So, so what were Jared's concerns when, when you first presented it to him as an idea? I think just around um, what it would look like, what, you know, I guess I sort of explained what I'd been out of research about the laws in Victoria and that sort of thing. But I think more concern around me and how it may or may not impact on me and, and what it would look like for our family. Because obviously, yeah, we're pretty busy. We've got a couple of our own kids and, and life's pretty busy. So he just, I guess, more, I think at the end of it, he was concerned around, will you be okay? Mm. And I think that's probably pretty typical of partners and family members when somebody says, I'm thinking about being a surrogate, is understandably thinking, what does this mean for you and your family and the ongoing impact that might come out of it? So um, you obviously knew your intended parents for quite a long time. How did the relationship change um, when it became a surrogacy relationship as well as a friendship? Um, It had its challenges. I think um, in the early days it was... We, we sort of, I think because we knew one another, um, the, the challenging conversations at the start around, you know, sitting down and talking about um, termination or abnormalities or failing failures or anything like that, we sort of were able to have those conversations as a pretty laid-back kind of team. I think um, some of the challenges just came when you add in obviously pregnancy hormones when we did get pregnant it was um i think pregnancy is challenging enough between a husband and wife or a wife and a wife or a husband and a husband but you throw in another couple um and you throw in their family and you throw in our family and it becomes it, it can become quite overwhelming i think so um our relationship i think has just got stronger um got obviously now post-birth um yeah like we we catch up we're not in one another's pockets but we weren't in one another's pockets pre-pregnancy so um there's certainly a big part of our life and and 
and that's been I guess just a stronger relationship the ability to to deal with what got thrown at us along the way and and come out of it as a united team that obviously achieved a really cool goal in the birth of Jovi. What's the distance between you you and your intended parents how far to get to their house? About half hour. Okay, so that's not far at all. So tell me, you went through the Victorian process. How did you find all of that with the legal advice and the counselling and the patient review panel? Legal advice was easy. That was you. So that was straightforward <laughs> and piece of piece compared to the rest of it. The counselling at um, the local level was good in terms of, it just meant a lot of travel, obviously, because um, it was Monash. So it just meant a lot of travel to Melbourne and back for the counselling. Um, that was good. We had a really good counsel that we all got along with and she was really approachable and easy to get along with. So, um, she actually went off in mat leave, I think when I was about six weeks pregnant. So it was a real shame to lose her at that time because we'd built a really good relationship with her where she was kind of available on email or phone if we sort of had any questions post PRP. Um, the independent psych assessment we found quite confronting in terms of probably not so much at the time, but the report to read it was quite, I guess it's what it's meant to be, but it was really analytical and, and really to the point about your appearance and what you look like when you showed up and all those sorts of things. So I think that's not what I was expecting. Um, PRP was terrifying, um, but good in a way because we got the outcome we wanted, but it was interesting they probably focused more on the boys than they did on um, Rach and myself, which was interesting at the time. Lots of stuff in the, I guess, from background of males and stuff like that. So Jared kind of got a few questions directed at him, which I don't think we're kind of expecting that to go down that way. But we got the answer on the day and that, that was good. So it was a long, pro it probably wasn't a long process. We offered in May and we were PRP in November. So we probably, I think knowing one another and having had that relationship for so long probably helped us. Like I wouldn't probably recommend doing it that quickly if you don't know people, but I guess because we had that relationship pre-surrogacy, pre it, it gave us good stead moving forward pretty quickly, mm. I guess. So then after PRP approval, you went back to the clinic ready for an embryo transfer. How did you find that as a surrogate who... Um, hasn't experienced IVF treatment before. What was that like for you? Horrific. Um, I really struggled. I We were flagged as having, I have active killer cells, which from what I know now, every woman has, just mine were a little bit higher. So we had a transfer in December um, after PRP approval in November. Um, and I had was on some meds, not a huge amount, but enough to, because of the, uh, active killer cells I was on um, some injections and that sort of stuff and some pills and potions um, that transfer failed um, at the end of December we found that out so then we went back in January <clears throat> I was quite happy to sort of have a little bit of a break but keep going um, my guys had three embryos so it was kind of like we've got these three and then we reassessed as a team so I was kind of keen to get it underway I think your life is on hold for such a long time when you're on the surrogacy ride that we're quite keen to get it underway, obviously. But um, this second round, the IVF specialist, I think, found every trick in his book um, and threw it at me. Um, I was I had to de develop a spreadsheet for my 
tablets every day, injections. Um, it meant Jared was injecting me because I had to do it in a muscle in my backside and I couldn't do that myself. Um, it was Clexane injections in my stomach, multiple pills, and I, um, I really struggled with that. Um, and knowing what I know now, it's probably been one of my biggest learnings coming out of it is that I would probably argue or fight more for my fact that I'm fertile and I think sometimes the fertility specialists get a bit caught up in the fact that they um, treat infertile people all the time and then a surrogate comes along and they fail to recognise that you know we potentially don't need all those pills and potions because we've got proven fertility so um, I battled with that and then obviously that we had a February transfer end of Feb transfer so within two weeks we knew that I was pregnant um, and I was on those pills and infusions and needles for the next 12 weeks. So for the first 12 weeks of the pregnancy. Um, and I was awful. I was really, really unwell. So I had really bad morning sickness, which I think was exacerbated by, I had morning sickness with Alyssa, but I think the level of morning sickness was insane. It was all day, all night for 16 weeks. And so, yeah, that was probably, I. Yeah, hats off to the people that do rounds and rounds and rounds of IVF because I said to Jared at the end of, like through the second one before we found out I was pregnant, I said, I don't know if I can do that again. I, I don't think I can do this to myself again. Like there was no remedy for the, the pain that the needles left me in, in my backside with these two tennis ball size lumps. And um, yeah, I just, I think, like I said, knowing what I know now, I think I'd, not that I'm going again, I'm retired, but if I ever did, and probably some of my learnings and knowledge that I want to pass on to future surrogates is to be able to voice the fact that you are fertile and um, maybe you can be monitored in a different way in terms of um, the IVF cycle and that sort of thing. I think that's actually a really good point that a lot of surrogates will say, can I have a natural cycle or they might have what might be called a, a supported cycle. I know, for example, I was on progesterone pessaries, but I wasn't on anything else uh, um, aside from that, which has fairly low impact. Um, so it's quite extraordinary that you were on so many meds and yet you were otherwise a fertile woman. There didn't seem to be any reason to treat you like that. And it, I guess it, it is, like you say, the fertility specialists really need to consider the impact on a fertile woman to put her through that because you don't want to come out the other side and go, I wish I hadn't done that. That's, yeah. Um, I think there were just days that it was just so emotional. I mean, pregnancy is emotional laugh. A surrogate pregnancy is even more hormones. And I was just, you know, I'd, I'd be yelling at the kids and yelling at Jared and then I'd get, down the road on my way to work and be bawling my eyes out because I'd be devastated that I'd taken it out on them. But I was just up and down like a roller coaster and it was nothing eased the morning sickness, nothing did anything for it. And at eight weeks we had a meeting with the fertility specialist where I begged him to come off all the meds because for me, we'd had a, an ultrasound at seven weeks that it was a viable pregnancy. And for me, I was quite ready to come off those meds. And he kind of, I guess, pointed it out that, if I was to do that, I was to risk miscarriage because of my, uh, what do they call it? You're not, you've got a hostile uterus or something in terms of your active killer cells. So I think it was really tough for my IPs and, and for me because I, I wanted to come off them all. 
yet for them, I guess they had the fear of what he'd said about a miscarriage. And I completely understand that those embryos are so precious and you don't want to do as a surrogate, you don't want to do, you carry so much pressure to get an outcome and, and you want to make, you know, I guess for these guys, they'd had so many traumas and you get, they get to the point where they find out they need a surrogate, they get a surrogate and life seems really shit and unfair when you have a failed transfer, because I just think, you do you all go into it thinking first transfer is going to work where we're good to go but it doesn't always necessarily work like that so i think that for me was really hard in terms of i probably back down um because he probably put a little bit of fear into them around if this med cycle stops then potentially you lose this pregnancy and we they've never got that far so I could understand their level of fear around that. But for me, it made it really tough in terms of just surviving those first 16 weeks. It was, it was not a pleasant journey at all. I think you raised some really good, really important issues for everyone to consider and to sit down and talk with their specialist about the impact on the surrogate and what's really going on and whether there are alternatives for the treatment and whether a second opinion might even be uh, what they need to do. So, yeah, was it easier after you came off the medication? Yeah, so they stopped at 12 weeks and then morning sickness and that sort of eased. I was still sick till about 16 weeks. Um, and then it was pretty good. I was able to eat and drink and enjoy life again. It was pretty ordinary for the first few weeks. So, But, um, yeah, I think it definitely eased with, um, with the I, – I wasn't sad to see those needles kiss their adios goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. So tell me about the birth. What was it like giving baby Jovi to his parents? amazing it made it all worthwhile um i kind of i didn't i was never worried about i was it was interesting as a as a surrogate to be pregnant and obviously not feel such a you feel a connection to the baby but not in a it's really different from your own pregnancies obviously you really i was really excited for rach and dan at ultrasounds for them to see the baby and and be really excited but for me it was kind of like oh hello baby glad you're doing okay but radio let's get back to what we need to do so it was just um birth was i one of my one of my requests going into the surrogacy was that we would um i would have a private obstetrician i've had that with both my kids and i just like that level of care and i think in this case it was particularly important for jared that he knew that we were going to have um, someone looking after me and monitoring me um closely so um at about 34 weeks i was measuring big i was always measuring like that crude measurement from your top of your pubic bone to your top of your under your boobs was always four or five weeks ahead so they're always worried that he was big um i'd had quite a traumatic natural birth with Alyssa. Um, so there was always a bit of, con she got shoulder dystocia and got a bit stuck. So there was always a bit of concern around how that was going to impact me with another big baby. Um, and so the obstetrician started talking to me about 34 weeks about potential of a C-section. And I just, I just pushed her away and said, no, 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 we're not going down that path. I've had two natural births. I'm not interested in C-section. I'm, um, particularly terrified of needles in my back to the point that I've always avoided epidurals in natural birth because the thought of a needle in my back scares me more than having a baby naturally which is probably a little bit weird to some but it's just been one of my big fears so I knew with a c-section I'd have to have one of those needles in my back there would be no avoiding it 
Um, and just for me, the recovery with Alyssa being three, the recovery I knew with natural births that I'd always been able to, you know, you saw, but you can get going. Whereas the C-section, I knew that I'd be um, probably, you know, a bit laid up for the six-week mark, not able to drive, those sorts of things. And I think it's probably something I we hadn't considered early on. Um, even pre-discussions, I'd always just been like, oh, no, I've had natural babies. It'll just happen with this one. So I think it took a lot for me to get my head around the fact that this was going to be totally different. Um, so she kept on working me on me. Jared was on her side, which I understand his reasons for that. I was pretty, I was like, you're siding with her. I gave him a pretty hard time about this C-section. Um, but... At about 37 weeks, I finally gave into it. I spoke to my GP, who I've had for a long time, and he was like, "Just your risk factors are pretty high. Um, and then I sort of spoke to Jared, and we sort of said, look, you know, traumatic births with your own children, you don't resent anything because you've got your baby. But he said, if you can't pee normally or you have long-term damage, I don't want you to resent this journey and what you did. So he said, I think... You know, you've got to you've got to be smart about this. So, I consented to the um, C-section about 38 weeks, and we booked in. We were booked in um, for I think it was like the 10, 12th of November. Um, but the last, my blood pressure had been okay throughout the pregnancy, but I had a lot of fluid. Um, the last four weeks, I struggled to stand up in the shower. My feet, I couldn't wear shoes. I couldn't even wear thongs. My feet were so swollen, and the obstetrician had been saying to me, "You need to." Uh, come and see me if you get a headache because, you know, this fluid worries me. And on the Friday before I'd been booked in for a C-section, I, um, I had a thumping headache. I went to bed on the Thursday night, not very well. Woke up with a thumping headache, was going to ignore it and thought, mm, better not. Um, swung into the obstetrician's rooms at about nine o'clock, rang Jared and said, look, I'm here. I'm not feeling the best, but everything will be okay. They took my blood pressure. It was yeah, it skyrocketed. So I said, look, just stay around, just be nearby because we'll just, I don't know what's going to happen. But the obstetrician called it and by 1.30 that afternoon, we're in theatre. So I'm really glad that I'd come to terms with having a C-section before it turned into you have no choice, you're having a C-section because my head had caught up with that. Um, we'd spoken to the hospital, obviously, along the way, we we're at a private hospital. So we'd had a midwife who we'd spoken to a lot about what birth looked like for us. And of course, we'd only really ever discuss what natural birth looked like. We didn't really, I'd never contemplated, like I said, I was so sad on having a natural birth that I hadn't even contemplated what a C-section looked like, you know, not being able to, for me going into the journey, my biggest goal was to be able to physically hand the baby over to Rachel and Dan. So to say, here you go, here's our culmination of all this hard work and tears and hormones and, roller coasters here's your baby um and so for me that obviously changed with the c-section in terms of what that looked like so we had really good support at the hospital around um our midwife went into bat for us to allow all four of us into theater um she was amazing she um rang me when i was booked in for the c-section said look i know you're really worried about this i've changed my shift i'll make sure i'm on We'll, we'll go into this together. You'll be all good. And I remember bawling my eyes out when Jared brought me home after the obstetricians and we came home to pack my bags to go in. And I said, 
she's not going to be on. She knows how, how this is meant to go and she's not going to be there. And we got up to the hospital and the midwife came out, young midwife, and she's like, oh, I'm looking after you till 12.30, but then, um, then Joe's coming in. And she came in, they'd rung her and said that I was having an emergency C-section. She actually came in on a day off to make sure she was there for us, which was just so special because, um, and I was, she knew that I was terrified about the needle and the, at the end of anaesthetist wouldn't let Jared in the room until this final block was done, which just created a new level of fear for me because I was like, if we've got to have this final block done, Jared will be there. I'll be okay. Um, anaesthetist didn't agree to that. When she explained her reasons around, she had to focus on me hundred percent, not worry about someone passing out. I, I got it. But, Joe was there to hold my hand and talk me through the whole process. So that made life really easy. So um, the C-section started about halfway through my mid, uh, my obstetrician lent over the uh, sheet and said, we made the right call. This baby wasn't coming out of his own accord. <laughs> so um, he was really wedged into my pelvis. So it would have been, if I'd gone down the natural path, I probably, I don't know what would have happened. It wouldn't have been nice. So um, we kind of had that had that win, I guess. Um, the obstetrician brought him up so I could see him. Um, I think, yeah, we weren't sure whether, we never knew whether it was boy or girl. My intended parents didn't want to know. So it was a surprise for all of us. Um, what happened post, so immediately the obstetrician had showed him to me and then took him over for his checks. And then the agreement between us all was that he would be wrapped and brought back to me at the table so that I could say hello and, and I guess have a little bit of a moment with him to wish him well on his journey into the arms of his parents. So um, my midwife, again, was really good with that. She kind of just made sure that I had the time and took the time to, she said, just don't rush. Um, and then we were able to arrange for Jared to then hand him over to um, Rachel and Dan on, on my behalf and on our behalf. So that was that was super special. I was able, they always made sure that I had line of sight to that happening. We had two cameras going, we had two nursing staff that had our phones and they snapped so many photos at those moments that I wasn't able to see for whatever reason I, I ended up seeing on camera, which was really special. But there's some really good moments of, um, of Jovi being handed over to his mum and dad by Jared, which just, I think, now is really special that he got to because he played such a big part in the journey that he got that moment as well. So um, it was, yeah, it was amazing watching them. The emotion and um, they had cuddles and then Rachel and I had a cuddle and lots of tears on the table and um, and then, yeah, it was, they were really good with, they just, while I was being stitched up, we all just sort of sat around. They sat right near my head where I could see them. And and we just, it was, we had a really good theatre stuff. There was no rushing. It was, it was really nice. So it actually went a lot better than I probably anticipated it going in terms of what it looked like. And, and the hospital staff can't fault them. They all knew how we wanted it to look and what we wanted it to be like in an ideal world. Um, and I don't have any regrets about that, how it played out because it was just, um, it was really special. So C-section or, you know, or not, it was, um, it kind of really hit the mark in terms of me, I think, being able to move forward in a really good headspace about how the birth turned out. 
Um, I'm really interested in what you've been saying about the C-section because I think you're not alone in being a surrogate that may have had um, vaginal births for their own children and then to be uh, presented with the idea that they're going to have to have a C-section, which they hadn't really planned on, having to get their heads around it, trying to be positive about it. And I guess it, it's all birth is a bit unpredictable, but your story is very similar to mine in having a C-section after two vaginal births and, and wanting that, visualising that handover to the intended parents and then actually C-section looks completely different. So I find that really interesting and I think it's really important for everyone to talk about what that might look like and to plan for lots of different eventualities. And also the continuity of care from your midwife, I think is really crucial. That's also what my experience was, that having somebody that knew the story, knew everyone involved, knew what we wanted, that was really important for us getting a positive outcome and being in the right headspace, like you say, to then move on to the next, next step, I guess. Yeah. So what was it like in those first few weeks after Jovi was born? Um, yeah, I'm not going to say it was easy. Hospital was really nice. Hospital where, again, I, I'm going to rave on about them because I just I can't fault their care. We had our own rooms. Um, I was there for six days. Every new midwife that I met, no one ever questioned me about where my baby was or got it mixed up or anything like that. They gave Rach and Dan their own room and treated them just like they would any new parent. And my care was just any woman who just given birth and had a C-section. It was really, really good. Um, those days were, I, I, yeah, they're tough to kind of explain because I think without a baby in hospital to keep you busy it's quite hard to sort of know what to do with yourself I was really lucky I've got a good bunch of family support around me and and close friends that all came to visit me and um, my my room looked like a florist I had so many flowers and chocolates and bottles of wine for post-birth that I was finally allowed to drink that um but I did start to go a little bit stir crazy I was kind of like okay I'm I've done this I'm Yes, I'm sore, but um, Alyssa was very much out of sorts because obviously things had gone and Jared was coming and going and mum wasn't at home and so I was really quite keen to get home and get back to normality, I guess you would call it. Um, obviously, the, the C-section threw a bit of a spanner in the works in terms of what my recovery looked like and what that meant in terms of not being able to pick Alyssa up and not being able to drive. Um, the day we left hospital, I was so pumped. I was like a kid in a candy store about going home. I was really, really excited until we got outside. Um, and Rach gave me a hug and I looked at Jovi in his capsule and the tears started and I don't think for the next 24 hours they stopped. I just rode this hormonal wave of emotions and it wasn't about that he was going home with them that was exactly what I pictured that he would go home with them and be happy and healthy and um the hormones just gave me an ass kicking that day I just I would look at Jared and just burst into tears and so I don't even know why I'm crying I'm just so emotional so I was probably pretty lucky he was around that day and just rode that wave with me and when I was in tears I'd just get a hug and and get that support so that was probably one of the toughest days and probably just, yeah, I think passing that information on to people is like, and it was interesting, Rach and I had a bit of a hug and a cry, but then I got in the car and I didn't want them to see me crying because 
you as a surrogate, everyone says, oh, are you sure you're going to be able to give this baby up? So I think um, for me, I, I had a counselling session with Katrina lined up. Um, obviously, our, our surrogacy counsellor left and then there is this legendary counsel that everyone knows we talk about now about Katrina. She got me through some tough spots, spots through the pregnancy. Um, but post-birth, I'd sort of said I'd like to see her a couple of weeks after just to make sure things are tracking okay. Um, and I described it to Jared after about a week that there was just these moments of I felt like there was a group of people that needed me to lose my shit. So they could say, I told you so. I told you it was going to be hard and I told you this was going to be the way you were going to feel. Then there was a group that I think needed me to lose my shit so that I appeared that's what you would expect, that someone would be batshit crazy for a little while after giving up a baby. Um, and then there was another group that almost because I felt okay and I appeared okay, like I was faking it and that there was just going to be this behind closed doors, I couldn't be okay. So I really, really struggled with that. And that was something I had to unleash with Katrina, just talk that through and work out why I felt like that. And I think it is genuinely people just, some people just can't wrap their heads around surrogacy and that you don't want to keep this baby and that you don't feel a connection. I, I mean, I'm not saying I don't feel a connection to Jovi. I'm thrilled. I'm like, we achieved the ultimate as a team and he's beautiful. And, but in terms of maternal instincts, I don't have anything towards him. Like he's right where he belongs with Rach and Dan and, and they're doing an amazing job of parenting him. So I don't, I don't feel any sense of loss around, um, around the pregnancy or the birth. I think the toughest part for me in the few weeks was figuring out what I did with myself, particularly um, I'd kind of lost myself along the way. I think you just give so much of yourself to surrogacy, so much of your family to surrogacy that when it's done and dusted, you go, shit, I don't know what to do with myself anymore. I don't know... Am I the same person? No, because I've been on a, on a remarkable journey. But you kind of go, geez, I've lost myself along the way. I've kind of just got to put myself back together. And I think the three weeks that I was at home that I couldn't drive, I, yeah, it was no good. Like I was just, I just had too much time to think, too much time on my hands and I was trapped in the house and I'd, I mean I, I'm a bit of a homebody but I'm also pretty busy so I don't like to just sit and do nothing and I that c-section sort of forced that on me um but then it left me kind of to deal with just some head noise so I think the first few weeks were tough once I started to get back to being able to be a bit independent and not feel so locked in it was much better but um, the session with Katrina really helped just to identify and she sort of said to me, you know, you've got this time off work, you need to, she said, your brain's wired to be busy and when you're not busy, it doesn't kind of know what to do with itself. So she said, take a couple few days to just do nothing and enjoy that, but I don't do that very well because I feel guilty about doing nothing and I sit around to do nothing. I think there's so many other things I should be doing. So she said to give myself permission to do that. Um, but then also said, make a list of the things you want to achieve and start to tick them off when you're physically able, if you want to, you know, and I've literally done it. I've decluttered 
house from front to back. And it's something that I just never have time to do, but I just made a list of things that I wanted to achieve and just started ticking those little things off. So I think that was really important around just giving myself some goals and, and filling my time because being at home and recovering from a C-section, but not being busy with a baby is a, is a warped headspace at times. So I think you're right. Yeah. It's a complete mind blow. And I was exactly where you are. Everything that you've just said, it sounds very familiar that I, I felt very isolated being at home and not being able to drive and a bit useless, um, but not being able to do anything that required too much um, brain work because it was a bit mushy anyway I was kind of wandering yeah. into rooms and forgetting why I was in there but needing something to keep me busy during that time yeah, um, yeah. so how has the rest of the fourth trimester been because it's now you're pretty much at the end of what we might call the fourth trimester have you felt like you're sort of back to normal yeah I think so I think there was a couple of rides along the way that were um, I think it was a bit of a in my own head, I had to reconcile the fact that um, Rach and Dan are very busy with Jovi and obviously our lives towards the end of the pregnancy were very heavily intertwined because um, we, we were hanging out because obviously I was carrying and, and then they are busy with Jovi and I think you just have to learn to adjust to that the relationship does change and it's not for the good or for bad. It just changes because of the you've now given them a baby and and they're busy being parents to a newborn which is such as a parent yourself you think yeah no you just do go inside your bubble first so I think it's just being able to identify that that relationship does change a little bit and being okay with that and recognizing that you know it's it does move from probably the focus on you as your as your pregnant self to you as you know post-birth surrogate and they've got a baby to keep them occupied. So that probably just took a little bit of adjustment in my own head and it wasn't anything they did. It was just, I just have to get settled with that, I guess. Um, so, but yeah, definitely feeling very much back to myself now. I um, Physically, I've started to recover. Like, the, yeah, obviously the C-section takes a lot longer than what you think it does and um, you soon know if you've done too much and... Um, that sort of thing but mentally I'm I'm doing really well I it's I'm busy I mean life's busy for us anyway so it's probably just gone back to being busy and I just don't have time to to think too much to be honest but um we're about to go on a holiday in about three and a half weeks Jared and I just no kids and um just go and celebrate well what will be our five-year wedding anniversary and also the uh end of a massive massive two years in our life so we decided that we would do something special and just go and have some time to recharge and so I think that's really helped me too because I think I've had this focus of this is going to be just something for you and Jared to acknowledge that you know it was a really big trying time at times to get through so um, that's probably really helped me so I think that's put me in a good headspace moving forward because I've been like, I didn't want to do anything while I was in that fourth trimester because I didn't know how I was going to be and physically I just didn't know. So we always kind of planned that we'd do something later when we were still close enough to feel the feels of the surrogacy, but just on the other side of it enough to go and enjoy it and, and just be together. So 
I think lots of surrogates and their partners do something like this that it's I found it was like a line in the sand to say that was the surrogacy and now we're sort of moving on and we're going to have a bit of a time out for ourselves a bit of celebration and then life goes on so that's perfect yeah. I'm glad you're doing that good so yeah. do you have any advice for a surrogate that's perhaps about to give birth and is worried about what the fourth trimester looks like um probably be prepared for it to be emotional, but don't don't kick yourself for it being emotional. Don't think, oh, am I having second thoughts about wanting to keep this baby? And I think you've just got to ride it and you just have to feel it. I don't think there's any way to avoid it. I think you have to just be prepared to sit in that moment and feel those emotions and let them wash over you. And, and you know, you are going to have really shit days and you're going to have days where you think, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Um, for me, the support of my family, in particular Jared, has been probably, so I think if you can surround yourself with, whether it be your partner, your husband, your parents, surround yourself with people that know you well enough to say, are you okay? And you actually answer them honestly and, and be honest around your feelings. Um, for me, though, the support of my sorrow sisters, as we call them, was just invaluable for my bad days, um, for my ramblings, I think I've posted all these ramblings in the in the surrogates page in the days after birth, just evaluating and talking and venting frustrations that were just noise in my head at times and nothing in particular brought them on. But just to have that support, they, um, they're a legendary bunch and I think we can all learn so much from one another having been on that journey and having had all very different journeys is just a wealth of knowledge. So being supported by them was also really important to me. So I think that support's been probably the biggest thing. And I think, um, I guess, talk about what, what the fourth trimester is going to look like for you in terms of as a team post-birth. Like, is that going to be the entertainer parents come to you? Is that, Jared was always very clear with Rachel and Dan that, if I felt the need to see the baby and we rocked up on their doorstep, it was kind of going to be an open door policy. So I think that was really important for me to be able to know that I could pick up the phone and say, I don't, I don't want to take your baby. I just want to come and smell him and feel him and, and my body's screaming to know that he's okay. You get this weird sensation of like, where's my baby? But not your baby, but like, where's the baby? What have you done with the baby? So I think having that understanding as a team and being able to communicate, that's really important. I know the first night after I gave birth, it was about eight o'clock and I said to Jared, oh, I hadn't seen Jovi since probably about 3.30 that afternoon. Rachel down had family over and we're celebrating, obviously. And I just said, there's just this part of me that just, I just need to see him just to, just to go through this and next thing there was a knock on the door and um, Rach and Dan, so we're in our room. So every night they would bring him over. Once their visitors were gone and and um, visiting hours were over, we would sit together as just as a group for an hour or so and have a cuddle and have a chat. And that was really important. So I think fourth trimester, just be aware that it, it, it does have its challenges. But And I think for me, Katrina's advice was invaluable for someone that, um, is not emotionally invested in the journey and can kind of say to you, are you feeling that because that's you or has someone done something that, you know, you're taking on board? So I think she, I think for that, that's a really big recommendation is to 
is to make sure you've got that support and, and ask the questions and just, you know, feel the feels and ride the waves, as we say. I have to say this has been a really valuable discussion because I do feel like two years ago I was exactly where you are. And so it's been kind of nice to reflect on what my experience was. I can perhaps tell you what's coming for the next two years, if you like. <laughs> but thank you for sharing, Jess. I'm really glad we've got this out there because I think it's going to be a really great resource for anyone that's about to birth or wanting to know what to expect for that fourth trimester. That's amazing. Thank you. No worries. Thank you for listening to the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. If you are looking for more information, you can find it on the blog. Listen to more podcast episodes at sarahjefford.com. You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at sarah at sarahjefford.com.